Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Danielle Tate, a maternal fetal medicine specialist and the maternal medical director of TIPQC. Joining us today is Christina Shakti, Director of Women's Services at TriStar Stonecrest, and accompanying her today is Jenny Malone, a clinical informatics nurse at HCA Healthcare. Both were part of our pilot teams for the promotion of vaginal delivery project. This project just launched in April. Welcome to the both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for being here. We appreciate all the work that you're doing. I just want to start with just giving us a little bit more of your background. Christina, we'll start with you. Sure. So I've been working in perinatal services for a little over 10 years now. My background is labor and delivery, and I have grown up within HCA. I worked in a hospital system in South Florida and then transferred to Tennessee about three years ago now. We appreciate you staying in the South. I know Tennessee's maybe a little bit different than Florida. I wish it is here, but we have rivers, so we take that. And Jenny, if you'll just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, I'm Jenny Malone. I have been a nurse for about 19 years and started went to school in Knoxville. I was born and raised here in Nashville. Um, started my career in Memphis, actually, and then moved back home and worked at Ascension for almost five years. And then I've been with HCA for 13. So left the bedside probably eight or nine years ago and went into more of an informatics role. But my love for perinatal has stayed strong. That's why I went to nursing school. So I've stayed in that realm and still very much just live there. And so just trying to make a difference in moms and babies, even in this kind of role. So, Absolutely. I know that transition from the bedside to administration is an interesting one, to say the least, for both of you. Yes. Uh, Of course, being able to have that experience across the state of Tennessee as well. We're so unique in all the areas. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that helps in your approach to how you get your work done. So I appreciate you both. We'll jump in to talk about the Promotion of Vaginal Delivery Project. For the both of you, please tell us how your individual work has led you first to the passion of QI and to this project. Um, Certainly. Well, I think that we can all agree that there is a large variation in the quality of care offered, you know, between physicians or providers to different facilities, different areas of the country, obviously different countries. It's no secret that our country has significant opportunity for the improvement of maternal care. And um, QI initiatives help us to, you know, review data and and these QI projects help us standardize that care that we're able to offer our moms and obviously therefore our babies to, to help kind of elevate that quality. I think that's super important. I would say for me, just after... I actually had like a career ending bedside nursing injury. And so that sort of prompted my move into a different role of nursing. But 
I kind of had to reframe my mind and think like, how can I make a difference? If I'm not doing direct patient care, how can I make a difference in the, in the perinatal world still? And so I think with that said, quality improvement initiatives provide that and allow us to aim at ways to improve patient outcomes and upgrade just overall quality of care. So nursing informatics kind of opened a door for me, but now I get the privilege of kind of identifying or learning new projects where we might have opportunities for growth and really digging in with like our entire team, whether it be physicians, quality people, nurses, bedside nurses, leadership, the whole role of how can we make how can we make a difference and analyze where we're at and where we need to go with that. And so we really want to take that entire care team approach and be able to effectively care with the right reasons and I mean right resources. And so what does that look like? What's the big picture? And then how do we make the, even just as simple as the electronic health record, how do we capture that? How do we make it friendly for the nurse? How do we give the doctor back time to really stay at the bedside or to be in the clinic? And then, and then overall, how do we drive change with that, that the nurse and the doctor are able to put in that system? So I think there's so many aspects of changing and making positive change in those quality projects. I'll tell you, I think you would win a Nobel Prize if you figure out the EMR issues. <laughs> Everyone's favorite person. Right? But I agree with you both, right? Quality improvement is, to me, it's such the type of research that makes sense, one. And you see real-time change with it, right? It doesn't take 20 or 30 years to see the impact of what you found will work. And it gives you that leeway to tailor it, right? Mm-hmm. In a state like ours, what happens in West Tennessee is very different than East Tennessee. And we can't be a cookie cutter type of state when we approach quality care. Right. Well, speaking of the promotion of vaginal delivery, which I feel is always very relevant because there are vaginal deliveries happening, deliveries happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Can you guys speak specifically to what attracted your team to joining this project? Christy, you want to go first? Sure. So we had already been doing work and um, really focusing on our NTSV population to decrease the primary C-section rate. So this was really a no-brainer for us to join this pilot as well. You know, we have obviously more resources to look to, you know, in terms of, of giving ideas on what other hospital systems might be doing as part of this project that we could implement at our facility. So really, overall, the, the reason we joined is because we want to decrease those complications that we know are associated with, with subsequent C-sections. Even if they're just scheduled repeat C-sections, we know that there's additional complications or an increased number of complications with each cesarean section that you have as a patient. So we really want to focus on that, that first baby and make sure that we can have a trial of labor and, and the goal of a vaginal delivery for those who can. Yeah, and I would agree with everything you said. And I think all of those reasons are definitely were high on our list of why Centennial started with a past ACMO that we had back in July of 2019. We really started digging into our data and started collecting and started trying to make change. And and you know, as y'all both know, you can see some immediate change when you start projects like this. Everybody's excited, they're joining in. What can we do? The excitement's there. And because we started in mid-2019, you all know what happened in 2020. And so it kind of took our focus. It took everybody's focus off. Like we were focused on how do we just survive day to day during COVID. And so this came up after that. And it was kind of like, okay, everybody is sort of like 
we've gotten COVID. We can't say over, but we've gotten past that a little bit. And so now this opportunity to join the Tip QC pilot was just like, okay, that ACMO that was so critical in us getting this project going was promoted and left. And so it was time to just regroup and like have that renew of like, okay, let's get started again and let's really dive in and get focused again. And like Christy said, to hear what other facilities are doing, like even though we had done some of those things, how did they do it better? Let's try their approach. Let's see if that's the next step that will get us over that little hump that we're missing. So I feel like that was just, I mean, that was our why, like we found our why again. So it was nice to just kind of get re-energized with the pilot. That's great to hear. And I can imagine with a project that's so relevant to everyday life. Yes. You can see the energy behind it and the excitement about it coming. And I'm yeah. sure you probably have a lot of feedback just with what everyone experiences on the day-to-day basis and how they can see themselves promoting successful vaginal delivery and you know, contributing to the success of the project where you are. So now that you both have started the pilot, let's talk about how it's been going. So Jenny, can you talk a little bit about the successes, the implementations, any innovations that you've been able to successfully implement that has helped with the journey of this project? Yeah, I would say given that we started back in 2019, our innovations kind of looked a little different than those when we were like now versus when we were just getting started. But during the pilot period, we kind of started focusing on what a Bishop score looks like. What do, how, how often are we documenting it? What are we doing with that information? Do our nurses know what to do with that low Bishop score? And so when we found we couldn't reach 100%, we tried and we tried and we tried and we just couldn't get there. And it's not all about documenting, but also what do we do with it? So two steps there. But when we found we couldn't get to 100%, we decided to implement a hard stop on the physician's H&P. So if they were charting, I'm admitting my patient for an induction, then it the computer wouldn't let them sign their note until they put that Bishop score in there. So it is important. And it's super important for that MTSV patient, but it's important for the multip that might be having an elective induction that still is not right. So with that said, we implemented that and then we got up in the 90% of documentation, but we're still missing that little bit. And so we actually moved the nursing documentation for Bishop score over to where a screen that, that the nurses are so accustomed to charting and it shows them the Bishop score before they start Pitocin. And so if it's not there, they didn't document, they haven't assessed their Bishop score, they haven't thought, is this patient really ready for Pitocin? And so once we moved that, we actually achieved 100% last month for the first time. And so that was great. But we also really had those crucial conversations with the nurses and the more senior nurses on the floor helped those younger nurses. You know, it's hard to call a physician at night and say, I know this is your plan of care, but do you realize her bishop score is only three? Like, would you like to give her some cervical ripening? Those are hard conversations for young nurses to have. And so with that, we challenged them to use their senior nurse and to call that physician. And so we've had definitely the physician changeover of saying, you know what? Yeah, maybe she does need some side attack to get started. Why don't you go ahead and administer that? So I would say that was a huge win for us. Another thing that we initiated and we're trying really hard on is the labor to social checklist. So we're, I would say 
Christina and them might be doing better with this than we are. We're still struggling a little bit. Again, it goes back to the physician documentation and it's just another step to add to their plate. And, you know, the doctors say, I've been doing this for 30 years. Why do I need to fill out another checklist? You know, but it's, it's learning those conversations between the nurse and we gave them a tool to put on their clipboard. So it's not, Hey, doctor, so-and-so, did you fill out your checklist? It's, Hey, let's talk about was she really, has she really been ruptured for 12 hours? Has she really been in a good contraction pattern? Have we met the criteria that we're really looking for? Have we given this first time mom enough time? So that's where our, our focus is now. We also started sending kind of quarterly updates to the physicians with blinded data of their NTSV rates. It is kind of amazing. Like we would highlight their rate and their partner's rates and they can see where they just compare to their peers overall. It is amazing kind of what a little bit of peer pressure will do. So we did see some some movement with that. I don't think I don't think that pre- the physicians are like majorly changing their practice, but it's that, hey, can I give them a little more time? They weren't doing anything unsafe, but hey, can I truly give this patient a little more time? Can I be more patient? And so it brings that to light, I feel like. So those are some things that we really started focusing on. I love those. You know, the two words that came to mind were thoughtfulness, right? Thoughtful practice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we need information and we need reminders to be thoughtful because that's intention, right? But sometimes just in the everyday to day, it can kind of get lost in partnership, right? Having the partnership with your nursing staff, those kind of conversations help build partnerships between the physicians and the nurses. So I think that's just great work you guys are doing. Yeah. Christina. Would you mind talking to us about the initiatives, implementation, successes, innovations that you've seen with your team? Absolutely. So we are doing um, a lot of similar work as to Centennial. And again, we're sister facilities. So we have bounced a lot of ideas off of each other in different meetings. So we, although we do not have a hard stop for the provider documenting the Bishop score, we do have a chart audit tool where our clinical leads do chart audits on all of the deliveries. And if they were an induction or augmentation, a Bishop score is required prior to starting Pitocin. We do also have the requirement that the RN reaches out to the provider. If we are not using a cervical ripening agent, we have a Bishop score less than eight. So that is also documented. However, our model is a little bit different in terms we do have a laborist program where there's a certified nurse midwife that's on the floor 24-7. So generally these inductions come in overnight and are under the care of that midwife. So a lot of them receive those cervical ripening agents just based on that alone. We have had the same issue with receiving back the labor dystocia checklist for each patient that does convert to a primary C-section. So we being a smaller facility than Centennial started doing weekly audits, any NTSB patient who did end up having a cesarean section to make sure we did have those forms turned in. But that was more successful after we implemented these magnets. They're NTSV door magnets. So they'll go on the door frame of all of our NTSV patient rooms at the time that they're laboring just for additional acknowledgement and um, to bring awareness that this is a, a primary, I'm sorry, an NTSV patient that we want to put more eyes on and make sure that we are doing, you know, more interventions in terms of 
of supporting active labor management position changes that they they don't have a, a proven pelvis yet. And we want to make sure that we give them a little bit more attention if needed than maybe mo- some of our multiparous patients on the floor. Wow, I love those changes as well. You know, I think we don't give enough credit to the power of visual, mm-hmm. right? You think it's all about audio and speaking, but I'll tell you, I'm guilty for seeing something on a commercial and going and buying it, right? So that power of saying, hey, that's thank you for that reminder. I'm going to go into the room, making sure I'm having that, again, thoughtful practice in mind. So I think that's great. It's not right too in your face, too over the top, but just right in what's needed. And I think you guys are both doing a great job. And I'm so glad you were able to join the pilot and kind of lead the way for the other teams that are joining now or have recently joined. Now, you both are involved on both sides of this QI talk, right? The administration side, the provider side, the staff side. I just want to talk a little bit about that engagement as you guys are both experts in engaging with the team members, Um, specifically starting with the physicians. Those, I know sometimes even in the talk, we mentioned how there could be hesitation. There may be a disconnect because physicians are typically not in the hospital all the time. But how have you found that to be successful, uh, specifically, Christina, in engaging your physicians in these QI projects, specifically PVD? Absolutely. So we joined the project after we transitioned to that laborist program. So to be perfectly honest, the midwives really had a huge part and a huge play in educating the physicians, honestly, on, on certain things that would help with vaginal deliveries. For example, we had a provider who wasn't aware of what a Cook's catheter ripening balloon was and came to one of our department meetings and was really thrilled about it. He says, you know, I, I send my, my inductions in and hand them over to the midwife and they're placing either Cytotec or the Cook's catheter. And by the time I come in at nine o'clock to, to break water, they're four five, six centimeters dilated. We have an early afternoon delivery. So it's really helped with their work-life balance having this laborist team, and they've actually learned a lot of different management ways for, for our patients to help promote vaginal deliveries. I love that partnership between the midwives and the physicians, right? Yes. And sometimes we hesitate, I'll admit it, to have other healthcare providers come in, especially if they're not other physicians, right? So I love to see that partnership, and I bet your, your uh, physician's pretty definitely um, appreciate not having to do all the work at night or when they're in another hospital. So that's great. And hopefully just our talking in this few minutes about it will help to motivate other hospitals to just look into a laborist model as well. So Jenny, can you talk a little bit about nursing engagement, how we can pull in staff and, and support them through these changes that are beneficial for everyone? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for us, um, we had the Spinning Babies program come, I think, in the fall, maybe December. We had some classes at Centennial and some of our nurses went. And obviously, there was a limited number of spots. But we, those girls that went came back to the floor, totally re-energized. Hey, I want to use all these positions. And let me say, they used some on some of our little G1 patients on that patient that's been stuck at seven centimeters forever. And then they put her in these positions and the patient gets complete. Or the patient's complete and they put her in a certain position and she only pushes 20 minutes for a first-time mom. I mean, it's nothing like those girls. They feel like they have achieved so much. And their physician walks in and is like, this patient did amazing. 
and they're saying, oh, we tried these new positions. And so it's just, it's the energy and the camaraderie and the physicians are so proud of them. And the patient got exactly what she wanted and she got this beautiful birth. And so it's, it's interesting to watch them. And once they came back and that whole group was energized and ready to go and ready to try all these new positions, it's funny to see them watch and listen. They've all joined all these podcasts and Instagram and Facebook and follow all these people. And for somebody that's old like me, you know, that wasn't what we had 20 years ago in the start of nursing. But and they, I mean, I'm not kidding. We had two patients on the floor one day. Both of them were kind of stuck in two different different situations, but both she ones. This nurse that had been following this lady, I think she had been to spinning babies as well. They went, put both patients in this new position and both of them were complete and had successful deliveries within just a little bit. And they were so excited. Their doctors were super excited too. One patient had been complete for a few hours and just was not, the baby was not descending at all. And they tried this new position and the baby came right out. So it was a huge win for them. I mean, and for the patient just all the way around. So, And I can imagine just the autonomy as yes. the nurse, right? Not just always getting orders and following orders, but being able to actively be a provider in care. That has to be an amazing feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's something in labor and delivery that, you know, several other fields of nursing don't don't quite understand. It's something that just happens in L&D. Very true. And yeah. we at TIPQC love spending babies as well. You know, we've had several sessions across the state and we're trying to convince them to come back and do more because right. of the work. Right. So I expect that, yes, that collective training will help get our numbers down in no time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So a question for both of you about the dreaded administration talk, right? It's we can do everything that we can, but sometimes administration may be a little disconnected, right? Because they are over an entire hospital, not just a unit. Can you guys, either one of you, uh, both of you, speak to successes or lessons learned that you've had with administrations specifically that could be pointers for others? I can jump in here a little bit. I will say when we first started back in 19, our ACMO at the time was really the one that decided to head this project. He was going to just take it on by the reins and like just go with it. And he was a cardiologist at heart and so didn't really know anything about OB. So here we were teaching him. But he was, he might be an ACMO, but he was not like, well, I know everything about this. He was like, please teach me. Let's work. I mean, just the camaraderie and the team. This is a team. And when we first started this, it was, there's no titles in this. I don't care if you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're administration, you're whoever. We were all first name basis, which really broke that I'm administration and you're the nurse. Like, we're all on the same team here. And all we're trying to do is make the best outcome for the patient and the baby. And so that's, we were all focused on the same thing and it didn't matter who you were or what your title was. So I feel like just breaking that down and really breaking that barrier was a huge win for us from the very start of our project. I'd have to agree with Jenny. Our administrative support has been amazing. I've been really impressed with our administrative team ever since I I transitioned and transferred over to Stonecrest. Again, our CMO, very supportive. He's a pulmonologist. So again, no OB background, but our CNO has some OB. She's her, most of her experience is in the ED, but they really just trust that we, we are going to do what's best for our patients and that we follow evidence-based practice and research 
and they attend all of our meetings, our department meetings. We do have monthly NTSB meetings where our providers report out on 100% of our C-section cases. So that really holds accountability. We do, just like Centennial, we do send out the provider rates for their C-sections for monthly and quarterly. So they are able to review each other's rates. And again, they're all present for our meetings where we review the if there's any trends, if there's any opportunities for improvement. And they, they value each other's feedback, which I think is very important. But administrative is very supportive of our, our improving this quality metric. Wow, I think we need to have all our administrative people get together and let your administrators rub off on them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, because sometimes when we think that they that they may not quite understand the OB world, the women's health world, they may be more disconnected and kind of hard to pull in for support. But you've seen the exact opposite. And I think that is amazing. Very motivating to know. And I love the breakdown of the hierarchy. That is a great approach, right? Because we're all doing the same work at the same level. There's no need to have any sort of disconnect because of our positions outside of the team. So switching gears back to the PBD project, which brought us here today for this discussion, you guys mentioned your successes. Any lessons learned as you've started the project and gone through trials that you would like to share with others? I think not underestimating education. So what we found was that even prior to me coming to Stonecrest, we had been focusing on our NTSV rate and trying to decrease that. But there were honestly labor nurses who did not know what NTSV meant. So without knowing what it means, you can't really target the population appropriately to try to decrease that that number. And so education, I think meetings with your staff, making sure that you're getting appropriate feedback on what's working, what's not working. If there's any recommendations from the people that are really working the sidelines, they're here practicing next to these providers and and working together with the mother to to do everything we can to have a successful vaginal delivery. So not underestimating the education that we're providing our staff. Christina, I would completely agree. And I think that education of the staff and even the providers too. I've had providers say, what's NTSV? And I'm like, okay, let's break this down. And they're like, oh yeah, like I know that. But on a different turn, really for that, just from the informatics perspective, in the pilot, there were lots of questions of how am I supposed to gather all this data? And then what do I do with it? So while I think Christina's point is completely appropriate, just totally differently, I think that you have to learn like, can we capture some of this stuff daily? A lot of people are waiting for monthly reports from their hospital to hit, coding to hit. Is the coding correct? Like there's so much digging in the weeds, really. Thankfully, we have that. I, I do this at Centennial, but and I know how cumbersome it is. And so other people taking on this project, it's hard to rely on just the data that can be pulled because NTSB is so hard to capture because you have for qualifying things to get you in this bucket. And if coding's missed or the questions aren't right or the documentation's off a little bit, then it throws all your numbers off. And so while this is not just a numbers-based thing, you've got to have the accurate data to drive change. Like if you're if it looks like you're doing really well, but then coding's wrong or the patient's not in the right bucket or whatever, then maybe you're not doing as great and we need to focus our 
our opportunity in another area. So I think that what TIP QC is asking for and just breaking down those different social determinants of health and things that do maybe drive this project and, and where are our outliers? Where can we spend our most time trying to um, correct or, or educate more on that population? So I think the data part of it is a huge piece. It's not everything by any means. Like the bottom number is not what you want to see here. You want to see those great outcomes in moms and babies, but we do need that in order to make change. So I think that's a huge piece too. Well, those were great lessons learned to share, you know, and just in the motivation of data, right? It is that one thing, it's like charting, which is like, mm-hmm. I know we have to do it. It has an important meaning, but can we just do the fun part of change? And right. Right? Yeah. So yes, that data burden that we call it is something that's universal with research, right? It's a necessary source. So I'm glad you guys have learned these um, great lessons because you're right. Medicine is one of the few fields where it's education is always evolving. Mm-hmm. If we stop at one place and never learn anymore, we'll never be able to be the best for our patients. So you're right. And I'm glad you, your um, staff, your physicians, everyone is embracing that education that we're seeing. Well, let's talk about the future of this PVD project as it relates to your teams. What are you looking forward to as we move forward in this project and get it going even more to completion? I would say for us, I think Christina kind of touched on this before, even with the pilot, but I think as the more hospitals have joined the project now, we have small institutions, we have really large institutions, we have all different sizes. People come in from all places across the state, like rural, big city, all the things. So, and I think that each facility, small or large, has something major to offer this. Mm-hmm. And not everybody has the same resources. So, Hearing more people say, hey, this is what's working for us. Hey, this really didn't work for us. It's just that opportunity to say, hey, we didn't try that. Maybe it might be a really small hospital, but maybe that's going to work in our large hospital really well. And so I think just hearing more people, getting more people involved and just hearing, you know, we were part of another TIPQC initiative. And at the end of the project, just really seeing those those numbers drive down and see the outcome of there were large numbers of the numbers of babies that that project touched. And so I think to see, like, even as you fast forward to completion of this project, just to see how many moms and babies did we make a difference in their life? How many outcomes did we change? Where did this project, what all did we do as a state? What could we do? And so I think there's a lot to learn from all the facilities and then just excited to see where we go and where we end. So, Absolutely. As Jenny mentioned, using the resources that we are all figuring out based on feedback, trial and error, of course, of what we're doing at our own facilities. But overall, again, just like she mentioned, seeing the numbers drop, we're looking at Tennessee as a whole, but eventually this will be as a country as a whole to Mm -hmm. decrease our numbers and our maternal morbidity, mortality rates. And so I think friendly competition is great because we obviously see our sister facilities numbers and some of these metrics and everybody wants to be the best and everybody wants to do what's best for for our moms and our babies. So driving that number down, there are, you know, you have to have the wins where you can have the wins. We did have a quarter where we were 17.24% and we celebrated. And of course, then you have your outlier months where you're significantly above 
what our goal is. And then we just make sure that we review each and every one of those charts and see where the room for opportunity is. If, if it was true fetal intolerance or any other situation for a primary section, but we, you make the adjustments where you can and, and hopefully see that number drop consistently. That's great. I think, you know, just kind of sum it up. It is a one moment at a time type of initiative, one moment at a time type of project that we're looking at when it comes to quality improvement. And you're right. Most times we look back because we're seeing the details of the day to day. But when we look back, we really see the impact. And it is very much so rewarding for everyone to see that. Well, I appreciate you both for your time. And thank you again for all that you do, all of the joining in with TIPQC and partnering with TIPQC to not only participate in the promotion of vaginal delivery project, but others. And I'm sure we'll look forward to continuing this partnership in the future. I thank you both for your successes with the PVD project and for being a model for other teams and for the state on how to do this the right way. So I appreciate you both. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Jenny, for your time. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. You can find details in the show notes. And we will see you the next time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.